My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor of Grand Valley Church, and we're a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope that this message helps you to explore faith and grow in your relationship with God. Hey, good morning and welcome to Grand Valley Church for our online service. We are a community of faith that is committed to leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus and we're located in Brandon, Manitoba. And maybe you're watching this live or maybe you're watching this on demand on YouTube or you're listening to the podcast later, but I just want to say welcome. Thank you for choosing to be here to listen to this and to join in in these conversations. And I want to invite you to do something. If you want to get in touch with myself or someone at the church or maybe you want to learn more about our church and the things that we're doing, there's a link in the description to an online connect card. And I'd love for you to click that, fill it out and get in touch with us that way, or even share a prayer request if you'd like to. Now today, we are continuing a series that we started last week called I Am Jesus in His Own Words. And we're taking the time to look at these statements that Jesus made about himself and what we can learn from them. Because we believe, and at the core of our Christian faith, is Jesus. God himself stepped into the world to teach and to lead us into a relationship with him. And we're going to be spending our time in the Gospel of John. And John was one of Jesus' disciples, and he wrote one of the four accounts of Jesus' life that we have in the New Testament. And John wrote his after the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, had already been written. And so he chose to focus on things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke weren't able to include as they wrote their Gospels. And so we're going to start today, one day before the passage where Jesus makes one of these I am statements. And we're starting this story the day before on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, there's already huge crowds that are starting to come to look for Jesus because they've heard about his miracles. They've heard about the way he teaches. They've heard about the compassion and love of God that is just so evident through him. And so people are coming and traveling from miles and miles to see Jesus. And so as Jesus is on the shore, he looks out at the huge crowd and he turns to Philip, one of his disciples. He says, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And Philip looks at the crowd and he must be just shaking his head at this and saying, even if we work for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. And then Andrew, another of the disciples, speaks up and he says, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? And so Jesus takes the loaves, gives thanks to God, and distributes them to the people. And afterwards, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. Now, in your Bible, it'll call this the feeding of the 5,000. But the truth is, the number of people was only the number of men in the crowd. They only counted the men. They didn't count the women and children. So the reality is, this would have been more like feeding of the 15,000 that Jesus fed. And at the end of it, they gather, they pass around baskets, they gather the leftovers, and there's 12 baskets of leftovers after everyone ate their fill. Now, when we read about a miracle like this in scripture, we often want to ask the question, how is that possible? And there's been all kinds of attempts to create rational explanations for, well, this is how it could have happened, or this is how we can explain it away. But when we come across something like this in scripture, the better questions to ask are, why is this miracle included? 
And what can we learn from it? What's the point that the, the author, John, writing this down is trying to tell us about it? Because all four Gospels include this miracle. So why did they include it? And one of the things that's understandable about this era and this time, when John was writing his Gospel and starting to distribute it at the very, kind of near the end of John's life as he started to distribute his Gospel, the people who were in the crowd that day were still alive. In fact, if you wanted to verify that John's gospel was true, you could go to Galilee and out of those 15,000 people, you are sure if you start asking around, you're going to find some of them and they're going to be able to say, yes, I was there that day. I ate that bread. I ate those fish. See, this is why that miracle is included because it is a verifiable story during the first century, during the time as the early church is growing. And then the second question, well, what does the author want us to learn from us? What is John trying to teach us? Well, John is trying to get us to see how people responded when they encountered Jesus. Because if we go just a few verses down, it tells us this. He says, when the people saw Jesus do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. Surely he's the Messiah that we talked about last week, this promised deliverer that God would send to his people to restore them. And so what they wanted to do when Jesus saw they were ready to force him to be their king, they wanted Jesus to immediately become a ruler, to immediately take over and try to overthrow the government. I don't know exactly how they expected Jesus to do this, but they wanted Jesus to be their king because he could feed them in a way that they didn't need to work for it themselves. And in fact, in the first century, under Roman rule, Rome used taxation to keep people oppressed. They would have extraordinary taxes, and the tax collectors were all corrupt. We've talked about that in other messages. And so suddenly, when you have a source of free food, you can do so much more. And so they wanted Jesus to be their king. And so Jesus slips away into the hills by himself. He escapes the crowd, something he does frequently in all of the Gospels. And so the disciples wait around. They don't know when Jesus is coming back, but they know Jesus was going to go on to Capernaum. And so they start figuring out, well, maybe Jesus is going to find his own way across. And so the disciples get in their boat and start to row across from the eastern to the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee to get to a place called Capernaum. And as when they're going there, they're about three miles into their six-mile row when a great storm comes up. And the Sea of Galilee is located. It's the second lowest elevation lake in the world. And because of its low elevation, when a storm comes up, when wind comes rushing down the valley into the lake, it is known even today as a lake that will have treacherous storms on it. And so the disciples get caught in this storm and they don't know if they're going to make it. And suddenly they look up and they see Jesus walking across the water towards them. And when Jesus reaches the boat and steps into the boat, immediately they're at the shore at Capernaum where they were trying to go. Now, there's a lot we could unpack from that story, but we're going to save that for another day. Because the next morning, the crowds get up and they come to the shore where Jesus had been the day before and Jesus and his disciples are gone. And so they get into their boats and they go across to Capernaum to look for Jesus. And they find Jesus on the other side of the lake and they ask him, Rabbi, which means teacher, when did you get here? They're trying to figure out how Jesus got from one side of the lake to the other side of the lake when the disciples only had one boat and Jesus wasn't with them when the disciples left. But Jesus does what he always does. 
and he undercuts their question. He gets to the core of what they're really there to ask. And Jesus says this to the crowds. He says, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. You didn't understand what Jesus was doing to display God's love and his compassion, to demonstrate his authority over all things in that miracle. They just wanted food. And so Jesus goes on, he says, But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Now he's not saying that food isn't important. But what he's saying is that miracle was not actually about food. It wasn't just about giving you something that if it had been left on the ground would rot away to nothing. It wasn't about giving you something perishable. It was about trying to demonstrate to you there was something bigger happening. There is something in this eternal life that God wants to give to everyone that Jesus was announcing in that miracle that they missed. He says, spend your energy seeking that. Seek the eternal life. Seek something bigger than just what's immediate in front of you. And Jesus says, for God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. He's saying, I have the authority to do this, to demonstrate eternal life to you. But the crowds, they still don't quite get it. And so when they think as Jesus talks about eternal life and what God wants for them, they turn to Jesus and they say, well, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And the commentators and the scholars that have studied this say, when they say we want to perform God's works, they're saying, we want to do what you did. We want to be able to multiply bread and fish to feed thousands of people the way you did. Because imagine what we could do if we had that ability. And so Jesus, again, cuts to the heart. And he says, no, 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 no. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. And so when Jesus says to them, believe in the one he has sent, this is the heart of our gospel, that the good news about Jesus Christ is, is that we don't work to earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't buy it. We can't work hard enough to gain it. In fact, all we need to do to be able to be and receive the eternal life that God has for us is to believe in Jesus, to believe in the one he has sent. This is why we talk about God's grace for us, Because grace is undeserved, unearned favor that is freely given from God to us. We can't earn salvation. We can't earn eternal life. But it is freely given to everyone who believes in Jesus. And so the people, and we don't know exactly who is speaking on behalf of the crowd, but they say to Jesus again, they say, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? See, this proves They just want something from Jesus. They aren't interested in his understanding, his teachings. They just want another miracle. And then they kind of, they're trying to goad Jesus into doing something. And they say, after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And they're referring back to the Israelite history. When Moses was leading the people through the wilderness towards the promised land, every morning manna, this bread-like substance, fell from the sky for the Israelites to collect. And six days a week, they would collect the day's allotment. And on the sixth day, they would collect double, so they'd have enough for the Sabbath, the day of rest the next day. And in the evenings, quail would land and they would capture them. And that was their sustenance. And they're saying, well, Moses did that. 
And if you really are from God, you should be able to do that for us now. And so they, they're kind of goading Jesus. They're saying, Moses gave us bread from heaven to eat. See, the crowd's questions reveal that they are focused on a transactional exchange. They're saying, we'll believe in you if you feed us. Feed us the way that Moses fed our ancestors with bread from heaven, and then we will believe you. But there's a problem with their argument. There's a problem with what they're trying to get Jesus to do. And Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. And that's very true. In fact, every time in the Old Testament in Exodus and every time it's referenced, the Old Testament scriptures are very clear to say that it was God who provided the bread, not Moses. The people have the story wrong when they're trying to convince Jesus to prove that he's greater than Moses. But Jesus says, now you're being offered the true bread from heaven. And he describes it by saying, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And if you were with us last week, you might recognize that this is actually why John starts his gospel in John 1 the way he did of saying that Jesus is the word that gave life And through Jesus, all things were created. What Jesus is getting at is that this true bread of God is about giving life and sustenance to the whole world, to everything, creating things to be in motion. And so Jesus replies, he says, I am the bread of life. And that first I am is again where he uses the name of God that God used to call Moses out of the burning bush way back in Exodus 3 Verse 13 and 14, Jesus replies, I am the bread of life. He's making this statement about himself. He says, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, I want to make something abundantly clear. Jesus is not declaring that belief will end our physical hunger and thirst. That's not what he's getting at at all. In fact, he's talking about a deeper level of sustenance of life level. He's not declaring it will end our hunger and thirst. He's declaring that he is sufficient for us to know God and have eternal life. To have life that goes beyond our current existence. To have life that sustains us through everything we experience in our reality, in our world today. In fact, when he talks about being the bread of life, he's talking about being this anchoring foundation and security for all of us. See, this is what Jesus is declaring. He is declaring when he says, I am the bread of life. He's saying, I am enough. See, our belief in Jesus is informed trust. In fact, the more we study scripture, the more we spend time with the Holy Spirit, the more we spend time learning from one another and diving into what God is teaching one another as a community of faith we start moving more and more towards this informed trust that our belief in Jesus is there both in our minds and in our hearts and our souls. That our belief is informed by what Jesus says about himself, what Jesus did, what he promised he would do, and the way that we see him still at work through the Holy Spirit in the world today. And so really when Jesus makes this statement, when he talks about being I am the bread of life and we look to who we are today, there's a question we have to ask ourselves. Can I trust that Jesus is enough for me? Can I trust 
that Jesus is who he says he is, that when he describes himself as being the sustainer of all things, can we believe that that is enough for who we are? See, this isn't just understanding, yes, in an intellectual or even a theological lens, but can we trust it into our hearts, into the core of our being, that Jesus is enough for what we need, that Jesus is enough to give us salvation, that Jesus is enough to help us face each day, no matter what that day brings. Because when we ask this question, can I trust that Jesus is enough for me? There's a second question that follows. How will my trust in Jesus shape the way I live my life? See, Jesus was calling the crowds to choose to live their lives differently because of his declaration that he is the bread of life. Jesus was calling those crowds to not just be focused on the short-term immediate, but to have their eyes to the horizon, to look to the future, to look to what God was doing in the world, what God has not yet done, but will do in the future. And are we willing to have the trust to look forward to that? So we ought to ask ourselves, is, do I trust that Jesus is enough? And how will my trust in Jesus shape the way I live my life? What's the next step that I have to take to live out this trust? And for those of us who maybe have followed Jesus for a while, it's a question of saying, how does this shape who I am? Am I really rooting my identity and my foundation in who Jesus is? And maybe if you're exploring, I want to say thanks for for sticking through this and and diving into these topics with us. Because this is going to bear fruit. This is going to create things in our lives, give us questions that we want to wrestle through that will only lead us to more truth. But can we wrestle with what it means to put our trust in Jesus, to have informed trust, not just blind trust? So let me end just by praying for us together. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the bread of life, the sustainer of life, that you are the true bread that satisfies our need for a foundation and for security. And Jesus, I pray that this week and as we're listening to this or whenever someone's watching this on demand in the future, Jesus, would you be working in our hearts to show us how we can trust you more? for how we can lean into your presence, for how we can lean into your care and your love and your grace. And would you help us to see what the next step is to lean into that trust and let us shape us and guide us and lead us. In your name we pray. Amen. And so I just want to say, just before you close out on this video or podcast, thanks again for being here with us. If you want to get in touch, I want to invite you to click the link in the description, fill out our online connect form, get in touch with us. If you want to have a conversation about some of these things, I'd love to hear from you. And I just hope you have a great day. And our next video, our next online service, we're going to be digging into another one of these I am statements that Jesus made about himself. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Our Sunday services are online only, streaming at 11 a.m. on YouTube. You can find out more about our church by going to mygrandvalley.ca or you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening.